Um, tonight we will be reading from John 21, 1 to 14. Um, I'll let you have some time to open your Bibles. Um, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joe, for doing that for us. Well, welcome to church again this evening. It is so good to have you with us. Um, if you're a visitor with us, um, welcome. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, don't call me pastor. I don't like that. Just call me Charlie. That'll be sweet. So this evening we conclude our series on in John and uh, next week we will be moving into one John and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into that with you as well and this evening I have to be quite honest with you it's been a bit of a difficult week in the Harrison household uh, we've all been off for a whole week uh, which is highly irregular for us and so um, this evening I, I am borrowing uh, a lot of this message from a previous message that I've given so please forgive me for doing that um, but I thought it was possibly best to do this please do pray for Pastor Darrell as I say he's had a hectic week because I haven't been around and he's had two weddings and lots of other stuff going on so he needs to have a good rest uh, in this period so um, <clears throat> This, this last um, section of John focuses uh, a lot on Peter and uh, I'd like to do the same and just, just really focus in on Peter mainly here and uh, I think there's very good reason for doing that and I just want to flick over to um, Luke 22. It helps if I'm in 22. And I just want to read to you from uh, Luke 22 and verses 31 to about 34 uh, and this is Jesus speaking to Peter and we know Peter was called Simon Peter so here in uh, Luke 22 31 Jesus says Simon Simon behold Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail <clears throat> 
And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Did it? I don't think so. But because when we think about faith, faith is believing in God's promises, trusting in God's faithfulness, relying on God's character and all he has said and God's willingness to act on our behalf. And I don't think any of that Peter lacked. I don't think any of that was the reason why Peter failed. I think Peter failed because he was weak. I think Peter failed because he relied on his own strengths and abilities. I think Peter failed because he didn't look to Jesus to strengthen him and give him the ability to overcome the issues and problems that he is going to face. And I think that's hugely significant when we look at the passage of Scripture we're looking at tonight and see this restoration of Peter. We're not going to cover that bit. You can go home and read that later. But the restoration of Peter. And I think it's hugely significant. Peter acted on his own strength and ability and he failed. And that's what tonight's about. It's about not doing that. And it's about being restored. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much that we can be in this place this evening. I want to thank you for the power of your word. It's an incredible thing. It transforms lives. And Lord, that's all I pray tonight. I just pray this word will transform people's lives. So Father, be here. Mix and mingle amongst us. Let us know your presence and power. And allow that to transform us. Allow it to teach us. Allow it to change us. So we draw closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the other thing that occurs in this story, there, there's a lot of people who believe that Peter actually sinned in going back to fishing. And again, I don't agree with that, but we'll start at the beginning. We'll go to verse 1. And don't do this to me tonight. Okay, let's go to verse 1. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. We'll see what happens after you do that. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. So this is the account of what actually happened. And it's by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. Same, same, but different. Galilee. Same, same, but different, okay? But, so why by the Sea of Galilee? And there's just so much that happened around that area. There's so much um, stuff that occurs that it's possibly not a coincidence that Jesus brings his disciples back to this point. But the main reason for being by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, was because Jesus said to them back in Matthew 26, 32, that that is where he was going to meet them. He was going to meet them in Galilee. So that's why the disciples are actually back there. And regardless of that, I believe that in the midst of this is, is this lesson for Peter. And I think in this lesson for Peter, there's a lesson for the disciples and ultimately for us as well. And I think one of the major lessons that we have to learn, and we have to do this over and over again, is to learn that labouring in our own strength and wisdom is totally worthless. It amounts to nothing when it comes to God's kingdom. I want to reiterate again, I, I, don't, I don't think Peter sinned in going back to fishing. 
Jesus has told them to go to Galilee. He hasn't given them any other instructions. He said, go to Galilee, wait for me there, and I will meet you. And we're told in verse 2 that there's seven disciples gathered there. So there's a large chunk of them that are there, and, and they're with Peter, and they've done exactly what they've been told. They've travelled 130 k's uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee, and they're waiting. But I don't, you know, and these seven guys, they're, they're an interesting group to be together, and we can suppose who the other two are we can possibly work out who they are by uh, a sense of elimination a set of eliminations but let's not do that let's just go with the names that we do have so think about Peter Peter is this rock supposedly who denied Jesus Thomas is the guy we know as Thomas the doubter Nathaniel is that guy who is like can anything good come out of Nazareth and then, then we've got James and John, these impulsive sons of thunder who wanted to call down uh, fire and brimstone upon this village for rejecting Jesus. And then the two others that we're not given their names, so we don't know too much about them. But it's an interesting crowd that is gathered here in this seven. And while they're waiting, I'm not sure about you, but if I have to wait for any great length of time, I get really restless. And I imagine these guys are getting really restless and they want to do something and they want to be occupied. And that's not a bad thing. And so they default to the one thing they know. Peter comes to that decision and he says, hey guys, I'm going to go fishing. And they've got nothing to do. They've got nowhere to be. They've got nowhere to go. And they say, yep, we're going with you. And we're not told why they did this. But when you think about it, there's a very good chance that they're running short of funds. Some of these guys had families. And well, now Jesus is gone, there's no income coming in. Those who were supporting Jesus' ministry have possibly dropped off and disappeared. And so these guys don't have any funds. And so in order to support their families or feed themselves, they've got to do something to gain some funds. And so they're sitting, waiting around right beside the sea. That place where they used to earn their living. Where everything concerning their former lives is represented. And it may have been a temptation. I don't know. I don't believe so, but it may have been. But it's so easy to go back to doing what you're comfortable with. But I think there's an overarching reason that this happened. Jesus needed to teach them a lesson. And it wasn't a bad lesson. It was about them growing. And so these guys, they go out fishing. And they laboured all night. And they caught nothing. It's interesting when you read that. Um, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. This is emphasising the professionalism of these guys. When they go fishing, they catch something. They don't have those nights where they don't catch anything. So there's two occasions now where this has happened to Peter. And again, neither of them are coincidence. You may have a bad night and catch a few fish, but you don't have nights where you catch nothing. It's unheard of, and especially in seasoned fishermen. 
So we know that just as the day was breaking, Jesus is standing on the shore and the disciples don't know that it's Jesus. Now we aren't explained why this is so, but on the Sea of Galilee, uh, just as the sun's about to rise, there is often a mist. So perhaps that is why they didn't recognise Jesus. But keep in mind also that Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus with two disciples at one stage and they didn't recognise who he was until he broke the bread. So perhaps somehow Jesus was concealing his identity from the disciples. We don't know, but they didn't recognise this man as Jesus who was standing on the shore. But he's standing there, he's looking out at them, he's watching them. And maybe he did that for some time. And they don't know who it is, but they hear this voice. And the voice says, children, do you have any fish? And they answer, no. Now, what's really interesting is our English translation doesn't capture what is actually said here. It doesn't really uh, explain um, what's really going on. But basically, Jesus has said, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? And of course, the answer is, no, we don't. Jesus knew they didn't have the fish. And when Jesus began that ministry, three years previously, he got into Peter's boat. And Peter had spent a fruitless night fishing. And after Jesus spoke to the crowd, the reason for being in the boat, he told Peter to push off into deeper water and to lower the nets. And Peter thought this was madness. You don't fish that way. You don't fish at that time of day. And they caught this incredible catch of fish. And Peter suddenly realises that there's something about Jesus which is otherworldly, which is greater than the norm. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And so here we have Peter in this boat again. He's operated with all his wisdom, with all his strength, with all his understanding, with all his will, and he has an empty boat. He doesn't have one fish in the boat. And I'd imagine he'd be quite frustrated. And, and when you think about the way that the people fished in, in Galilee at that time, they actually had this net which surrounded a fairly substantial area. That wasn't the net that caught the fish. Then they'd have their boats on the edge of this net and they would throw substantial cast nets and it'd be those cast nets that captured the fish. So as these guys have come close to the shore and we have Jesus who's asked them about whether they've caught any fish or anything like that, he does something. But before that occurs, we've got to realise that all throughout Scripture, this analogy of fishing refers to the act of evangelism, of capturing men. And when Jesus calls Peter, he says to Peter, come follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. And so all this is intertwined in what's, in, what's happening in this account. And these guys have gone off on their own. They've tried to do their own thing. But the lesson is, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Master life students, what's John 15:5? I am the vine, you are the branches. Good on you, Judy. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In this life, we will achieve nothing of spiritual significance if we don't do it with Jesus. And so we have to learn that labouring and obedience to Jesus' guidance brings great reward. And so here's Peter in this boat. 
an empty boat. It must have been an incredible moment for him. Embarrassing and all sorts of things. He's caught absolutely nothing. And he's frustrated. And then he hears that voice from the shore that says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I imagine, and this could be totally wrong, but I imagine Peter's just gathered up one of the cast nets and he's got it in his hands, he's about to pack it away because they've just cleaned it or whatever. And Jesus says, cast the net on the right and Peter in frustration just hurls it over his shoulder into the water. They're in shallow water, there's no way they're going to catch fish. It's impossible. Why the right side? Why in the shallow water? Because that's where Jesus said to cast it. No other reason. The lesson is, it doesn't matter how great or urgent we think the task. We, it doesn't matter where we think the work needs to occur or what we think needs to be done. The question is, is what we're doing done under Jesus' direction and command. Because if it is, the required results will occur. There'll be an immediate return. Peter and his disciples have been pursuing fish all night. They didn't catch one. Yet when they return, the, return to the shore and cast their net as Jesus has told them, there's an abundance of fish, and the fish are right beside them. Without Jesus, they had no fruit. With Jesus, they had an abundance. Without Jesus, they would never have known how close they were to success. They would never have experienced this incredible catch. The fish were right beside them. And we're told there's 153 fish. Fishermen always count their catch. There's 153 fish, and they are not average fish. They weren't fish that needed to be sorted. They were all large fish. They were substantial fish. But they'd never have known if they hadn't listened to Jesus and hadn't done what he told them, acted upon his word. And so I want you to keep in mind again that fishing analogy pointing towards the disciples being evangelists and fishers of men. The first time this happened, the net tore. Fish escaped. This time, such a big catch with such huge fish, and the net was not torn. Not one escaped. And those who come into the kingdom who call Jesus their Lord and Saviour, and do so genuinely, not one of them will be lost. John 6.39 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Who does Jesus use for his work of redemption in bringing people back into a saving relationship and knowledge of himself and his loving father? He uses his disciples. He uses his followers. He uses people just like you and me. And he delights to do so. When God calls people to Christ through us, they are given to Jesus and they are held securely by both God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. And so the disciples have this incredible catch. And I'm sure Peter begins to wonder what this is all about. But it's John who makes the connection. It's John who understands who it has to be who's on the shore. And he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, 
It's the Lord. It's he who has said this. When we think about this account, we could say that Peter and those other six men with him caught a great many fish. But did they really? Wasn't it all by the hand of Jesus and they were just the instruments that drew these things in? And it's the same when we reach others for the Lord. It's not us. It's Holy Spirit through us. It's God working his divine plans and purposes in, through and around each and every one of us. And we just need to submit to him and do what he calls us to do. And he'll do the rest. Without the Lord, they caught nothing. And this was an act of God, an incredible thing. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus is mindful of our needs. He knows what we need. The disciples have been out fishing all night. I've no doubt they would have been very tired. They would have been frustrated. They would have been hungry. And guess what? Jesus knows this too. And he shows this willingness to meet their needs. He says, come, have breakfast with me. And none of them asked who Jesus was. They never dared to do so. They knew it was him. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did so with the fish as well. And so... When we read this, we're mindful of the physical feeding that the disciples actually need. And Jesus provided the fish and the bread. It wasn't part of what they caught. It was from Jesus' own hand. And so there's this emphasis in this, that he can and will provide for us, even when we've not contributed to that. And even in times when it doesn't seem at all possible. But it's not just about physical needs. Jesus doesn't invite them just to eat when he says, come and have breakfast. Again, we have a little lost in translation here because Jesus doesn't just care for our physical needs. So the original word here actually means come and fellowship or commune with me. That's what Jesus is calling them to do. And that's what he's calling us to do. He cares for our spiritual needs and he's calling us to take time. You know, this isn't a quick drive through breakfast. This is a sit down and dwell with me type of meal. He wants to share with them, yes, for their physical needs, but he wants to feed them spiritually as well. And so he says, sit. Be in my presence, listen to me, share with me, learn from me, unburden yourself with me. This is an opportunity to be heard by him and to hear from him. And it's not to be rushed. And we're called to do the same. We're we're called to have time with Jesus. We're called to turn off our phones, our computer, put down that book, turn off the TV, move away from any distractions and just dwell with him, being his presence, listen to him. And when we do that, he will talk to us. I'm not sure if that's Ben's experience. But when we spend time in his presence, his word comes so much more alive for us when we dwell in there with him. And it becomes something that you want more and more of. And there's many here, if I asked them to raise their hands, they could testify to that. And so when we look at people around the church, we see Christians who have this great joy. Even you might hear that they're having the most incredible struggles and you speak to them and they're still overjoyed. And you wonder how that can be and it's because they've been in the presence of God and everything else fades when you know God's presence and glory with you. They connect with him. They connect with other Christian brothers and sisters. They're just this well of encouragement and joy that you want to be around. I'm sure you've experienced that. I want you to think about 
the disciples that Jesus met by the sea, think about who they were again. One betrayed him. One doubted he had risen. One questioned if he could possibly be the Messiah because of where he had come from. Two didn't understand God's grace, patience, compassion and forgiveness. Do any of those words describe you? Maybe now, maybe at some time in your life. I've denied Jesus. I've denied him when I've been afraid of what people would say if I said I was one of his followers. So I preferred to remain silent than to say that I knew him. And man, I've had my doubts. I've had so many doubts over the years. So many times why when I wondered if God's there, how could he possibly let this happen? It makes no sense. Why didn't God turn up earlier? Why didn't he change this situation? Why didn't he save this? He should have done things differently. If he was real, there's no possible way he'd allow that to happen. None of you have been there. Hey, that's just me on my own. There's been so many times like that and others where I've questioned, if God was good, how could he? How could he? Wouldn't he want the best for me? Wouldn't he give me what I desired? And then in the midst of ministry, God calls us to love people who are pretty ugly people. And I don't mean ugly to look at. I mean, they're terrible people. I've had the worst insults thrown at me. I've had the most disgusting things said to me. And I push back because it was ridiculous. It was just intolerable. It was unreasonable that people would say and do such things. But that's just because I didn't understand the Christ. The grace that is mine in Jesus. I didn't understand the high price he paid for me to be called the son of God. I didn't understand how bad my sin was. And I didn't understand the depth of the grace, the love and forgiveness that I have in Jesus. Because if I understood that, I wouldn't hold that back from anyone. All of us are made in God's image. All of us deserve a chance to know Jesus. That grace, that love, that compassion, that forgiveness is so abundant, you can drown in it. And it's no different for you. Jesus works with broken people. He's got no other option. We're all broken. Pastor Darrell said something this morning which impacted me greatly. It was very much along the lines of where I was going this evening. He said, Jesus can heal every broken heart. We just need to give him all the pieces. All 
the pieces. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. And I know I, I, I don't deserve your favour. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace and compassion and forgiveness. But I'm so glad that it's mine in you. And Lord, I, I want to pray for everyone who's heard my voice this evening. I, I just ask that there's something that has impacted them. There's something that has drawn them. And each of us will see, Lord, that in the midst of our brokenness, that's when you can do your greatest work. And Lord, your disciples were no different to us. They were broken people. They weren't living the way they should. They doubted. They denied. They pushed back against what was before them, Lord. And we do the same. Please forgive us. But Lord, there's going to be some people tonight who want to change that. And I pray by power of Holy Spirit, you'll work in their lives this evening, that you'll call them closer to yourself and they'll take that step. They'll, they'll pray a prayer tonight asking for your, for your forgiveness, asking for your restoration and declaring that they're going to live for you from this day on. May that be the case, Lord. And may we see people strengthened in their faith as a result of this this evening, I pray in Jesus' name. So Father, will you bless and keep each of these people? Will you allow your face to shine upon them through your word, through prayer, through support from Christian brothers and sisters? Will you give them peace, Lord? And more than anything, will you let each of us live for you this week, I pray? seeking those divine appointments and stepping into them with boldness because you will empower and equip us for every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things before you come up and grab these little questions. Um, again, don't do all of those. You might be here until midnight. Feel free to do all of them and stay until midnight. I'm not locking up, so that's someone else's responsibility. Uh, we're going to be taking some photos tonight. Uh, if you haven't had a photo done for the church directory, please do so. So that'll be over in this corner here. Can I encourage all of you to get that done? It'd be really good to update our directories so that that can happen. Uh, we're going to have a team serving hot chocolate tonight. And so please uh, grab that too. But guys, have a great time. Uh, please come grab the question. Spend some time going over that with each other. Share with each other. And uh, see if you can find someone that you haven't done this with before and uh, include them. Thank you. God bless.